Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Real Change Sermon Series from Romans 12, which is preached by our assistant pastor, Micah Bosman. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. All right, well, go ahead, and if, you, uh, if you're already there, Romans chapter 12, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're willing to enable, and we'll read through a couple of verses to get started tonight. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, and a very familiar passage of Scripture, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to uh, actually dissect both of these verses and, uh, and see how it applies to us in the area of real change, real change. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's uh, open in a word of prayer tonight, and then we'll dive right into the message. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, uh, Lord, for your word, the way that it speaks to us. And God, we thank you so much for uh, taking the time to breathe each and every word into the men uh, that wrote the books. And Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for that, uh, just the time that you put into doing that, uh, Lord, showing us how much it, uh, we meant to you, Lord. And we pray that we wouldn't take it lightly tonight. Uh, but, Lord, that we would uh, hear exactly what you have for us from your word. Lord, that it would speak to us. And, uh, Lord, that we would just uh, apply whatever we hear tonight, how you speak to us, uh, to our daily walk with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, go ahead and be seated. I am always <clears throat> thankful for the, uh, for the opportunity to be able to preach. And, uh, and so when Pastor asked me uh, just a, a, a little while back, uh, hey, I, I'd like you to preach a three-week series. Uh, in August, I, I was excited. I always uh, just, I love the fact that the Lord has called me to preach. And, uh, and so I, I just love the opportunities that I get to have uh, to be able to proclaim God's word. And uh, as I was uh, trying to figure out, you know, what would I do as far as a series goes, uh, the thing that continued to come into my mind uh, was the tagline for Moses Lake Baptist Church, which is real people, real life, real change. Uh, now, if you've never heard that before, just uh, look at one of your tracks, something like that. It's all over a lot of the stuff that we print. It says, real people, real life, real change. And that uh, full statement would be this. Moses Lake Baptist Church is a place with real people traveling through real life, but by God's grace, we're experiencing real change. And so when pastor asked me to uh, preached three-week series, uh, the first thing God brought to me was that, was that tagline for our church, and I thought about preaching one week on each of those, uh, you know, uh, but as I started thinking and praying about it, the Lord showed me very quickly that I needed to just focus on that last one, real change. I mean, it doesn't take long to convince ourselves that we're real people. Uh, I mean, just pinch the person next to you and see if they're real, and boom, you got your, your answer if we're real people, uh, but then also, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't take very much time uh, I don't know about you, but for me to uh, understand even just this week and even just today, 
uh, that I'm traveling through real life. Uh, we we uh, are going through different struggles uh, each and every day and each and every week that, that prove to us, man, real life, it's tough, and we're going through this real life. Uh, so uh, we're, we're all here, real people, and traveling through real life with real struggles. But I wanted to ask us this. Are we experiencing real change? Are we experiencing real change? And I'm not just talking about have you lost weight or have you made new friends or even really talking about if you've changed your behavior, but I'm talking about real change that starts from the inside. Change uh, that God does in our hearts, lasting change. Uh, each and every one of us that have accepted Jesus as our Savior can say yes to that, at least happening once in our life. Uh, you know, when we got saved, the Bible says the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And God changed us from the inside when we accepted his gift of salvation. But God doesn't just want to change us through salvation. He wants to also change us through what's called sanctification. And, uh, and I just want to kind of, to get us started tonight, illustrate through a drawing uh, that was shown to me uh, on what sanctification is. It's really just the process of uh, real change that the Lord is putting through our, our lives. And the way that it was illustrated to me, before I even do this, I'm just letting you know my wife is the artist. And I'm about to draw like stick figures. And they're going to be terrible because I'm not even good at stick figures. But hopefully this will at least illustrate the point to you, okay? So we have... <clears throat> A guy here, okay, like this, and then you'll, you'll understand in just a minute, you'll understand in just a minute, okay? Now, <clears throat> we have this guy over here, have you ever heard the saying, uh, they got a few wrinkles to iron out, you know, something like that, yeah, oh, they, they got a few wrinkles they need to iron out, okay? So here we have wrinkle man or whatever you want to call him, okay? This guy, he's got some wrinkles, he needs ironed out, okay? God wants to change him into a fully ironed out person, okay? All of the wrinkles, all the problems, all the things, he wants to change them. Uh, and that process, so really, if I were to draw an arrow right here, okay? Right there. This arrow is what we call sanctification, okay? Sanctification. So when we get saved, we're not absolutely 100%, all of a sudden we got everything figured out in the Christian life. We've still got some wrinkles that need to get ironed out. And, uh, and so Jesus then through us, uh, starts to work on our hearts from the inside out to change us and iron out some of those wrinkles. And that arrow there, the process from getting from point A to uh, the point where we look like Jesus is called sanctification. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in the next three weeks and really diving into uh, how that takes place in our life and, and what the Lord will, uh, wants that to look like uh, and through these verses. And so... Uh, God wants to change us is really the premise of this entire series. God wants to see real change happen in us. Uh, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you that way. And he wants us to change. And that's a lifelong process. God wants to be changing us more and more and more until we see him face to face in heaven. And I think every Christian in here would say, that's great. I, I want to see God change me. But where does that begin? Well, I can tell you this, it's not just going to happen by chance. Uh, real change isn't just going to, we'll wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden, like three of our Christian problems are just figured out, uh, you know. We've got to uh, go through this process of real change, of sanctification happening. It's not just going to happen by chance. And, and in our passage, Paul unpacks that for us 
uh, tonight. There's, there's something that initiates this change in our hearts. Really, we could call this the starting point of real change. The starting point of real change. So two things I want us to see tonight uh, in the starting point or uh, what initiates this real change taking place. And the first one would be this. We need to have the right motivation. We need to have the right motivation. <clears throat> and I'll just up front tell you the right motivation is God's mercies. The right motivation is God's love. And I might throughout the message tonight say mercies or compassion or love. Uh, really, if you look at the Bible, those are all kind of interchangeable. Uh, you look at uh, many of the words that are translated mercy, the same Greek word or the same Hebrew word in other passages of Scripture are, uh, are translated compassion or are translated love. You look at, even at uh, stories like the Good Samaritan and how Jesus was uh, speaking to the, the lawyer who asked him, well, who's my neighbor? And as he's speaking to him, he starts talking about how the Samaritan had compassion on uh, the, the man who was on the side of the road. And at the end, he says, which was neighbor to this? And the lawyer, pretty much saying the same thing, but used a different word, said, the one who showed mercy on him. So if I use those words kind of interchange it, uh, interchangeably tonight. That's why the, the Word of God does that. Uh, compassion and mercy and love are all entangled together. But notice uh, with me how Paul says it. He starts out our verses by saying this, I beseech you. I beseech you. Uh, that word beseech, he's saying, I really want to get your attention. Almost like I'm begging you, okay? I am, I am pleading with you. Before I even say anything else, no, this is important. I'm begging you. I'm, I'm saying, please, 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 please catch hold of what I'm about to say. That's how Paul begins it. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. <clears throat> and he uses that word by. Uh, I beseech you to do something by or being motivated by uh, the mercies of God. And we'll get to the thing he tells us He's beseeching us to do in just a minute, but he says we need to do it by the right motivation, by the mercies of God. Well, why would change in our lives be motivated by God's mercy? Well, Paul's already unpacked that a little bit here in the letter of Romans. That's why he uses the word therefore. He says there, I beseech you therefore. And of course, the saying, and we hear pastors say it often as well, is when you see a therefore in scripture, you have to see what it's there for. And if you were to really, I believe if you were to unpack the entire first 11 chapters is what Paul is leading up to this and saying, he's, he's saying, hey, I'm begging you because of everything I've just said. Uh, you know, if you were to look at it through this letter, Paul's already said, because of God, uh, we have salvation, we have security, we have the spirit of God. He says, because of God, we have those things. He says, because of the gospel, we have power, we have purpose, and, and we have peace. And, and he says, we have those things all throughout chapters 1 through 11. And he hits a lot on that of what we have because of God and because of the gospel. And he says, because of all of that, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, be motivated by his mercies. Well, how could his mercies motivate us? Well, let's think about his mercies for a moment. Uh, I, I think, first of all, when I think about his mercies is the fact that his mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. That well-known verse in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new 
every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I love that verse because that means that there are mercies we got today that we didn't have yesterday, that weren't given to us before. And tomorrow, we'll have entirely new mercies that we don't have today. Wow, that's just, that's cool to me. Uh, I love how, if you were here, uh, I think it was last year, maybe a year and a half ago now that Brother McCracken was with us and he used the illustration of, uh, imagine a big, shiny red dump truck every single morning coming up and just unloading, the biggest dump truck you can think of, unloading mercies of God into your uh, life, into your front yard every single day. That's God just and tomorrow, the, he says, the truck won't be the same truck that came yesterday. Brand new truck, brand new mercies every single day that the Lord just dumps into our lives. And that, that is just an encouraging thing, that his mercies are new every morning. But the Bible also tells us that his mercies are never ending. His mercies are never ending. You look at Psalm chapter 136, the entire chapter, every single verse ends with this, uh, with this line. For his mercy endureth forever. For his mercy endureth forever. It never ends. Not only do his mercies continue to be bestowed upon us new each and every morning, but it, it will never end. That will never cease. He will continue to give us those mercies forever and ever. Uh, the psalmist wanted to, the readers in Psalm 136 to grasp something, that God's mercies are never ending. The, the people of Israel, they, they fully comprehended this in a great way. If you were to go through Second Chronicles, and almost every time they began to sing and praise the Lord, it involved praising Him for His never-ending mercies. Uh, I mean, if you were to look at verses from the process of dedicating the Ark of God and the Temple of God, in Second Chronicles 5.13, it says, It came to pa uh, even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord. A few chapters later, just two chapters later, in Second Chronicles 7, verse 3, still in this dedication time, it says, When the, all the children of Israel uh, saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Even look at when they were up against three separate enemies. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat, uh, they were in, in the midst of three enemies, three, not just one army coming against them, three. And, uh, and you know what their battle strategy was? To sing. Instead of, instead of warring, they worshiped and they praised the Lord and, and look at how they praised the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, it says, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of wholeness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. You look through a lot of the Psalms and right there, just through 2 Chronicles, every time, almost every time, that the, the children of Israel began to praise the Lord, the thing that continues to come up is that His mercy was never ending, that it endured forever. They caught on to something that we need to catch on to. I, I love, uh, this is just a side note, I love reading in Second Chronicles 20, that chapter, and, uh, and the picture there. They had three enemies against them, and their, their, uh, 
battle strategy was to praise the Lord. And I think of us having three enemies up against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, you know, what's our battle strategy against them? Is it to trust and praise the Lord? That's a whole other message, but just always encouraging to me uh, every time I come to that uh, passage that they praise the Lord. And every time that they came to it, it was that uh, His mercy was never-ending. We need to grasp this understanding. He won't give up on us. That's what it's talking about. When it says His mercy endures forever, He's not going to give up on us. He's not going to throw in the towel on our lives. He'll continue to give new mercies every day. He'll continue to work in our hearts and in our lives, and He'll continue to work in our church, and He'll continue to bring people to Himself. He'll give mercies over and over and over again, forever and ever and ever. He will continue to give new mercies because his mercies are never ending. Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Mission, he used to hang in his home a plaque that reminded himself of this fact. On the plaque were two Hebrew words. One was Ebenezer and the other was Jehovah Jireh. The, wor the first word, uh, Ebenezer, means hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And the second word, Jehovah Jireh, means the Lord will see to it or the Lord will provide. One looked back, one word, Ebenezer, looked back, uh, at, while the other, uh, Jehovah Jireh, looked forward. And one, uh, one word, Ebenezer, reminded him of God's faithfulness in the past, uh, but the, the words Jehovah Jireh reminded him of God's assurances for the future, that his mercies were going to continue to come. We, we do well to remember the faithfulness of God in our past, but we would be remiss if we don't also recognize he'll continue to be faithful in the future. His mercies have been with us in the past for sure, but his mercies will continue to follow us throughout the rest of our lives. David wrote it in Psalm 23 this way. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. His mercies are never-ending. They will continue. So they're new every morning. They're never-ending. But we also must remember that His mercies are not earned. His mercies are not earned. They're undeserved to the max. I mean, uh, think of Titus 3, 5. It says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We have done nothing, absolutely nothing, to earn the mercy of God. God bestowed His mercy upon us because of how much He loved us. And He continues to bestow that mercy because of how much He loves us. Uh, we, we could go on and on and on about God's mercies. I think of the fact that the Bible tells us His mercy saves us. In Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. We could not be saved had it not been for the Lord's mercy. He showed compassion on mankind and continues to show His mercy by making those who are dead in sins alive and by forgiving us every time we ask Him to. His mercy saves us. His mercy sustains us. You look at that verse in Lamentations 3.22. It says, It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. The only reason that you and I got out of bed this morning, made it safely to church tonight, and are in fact breathing... Everyone is breathing right now, right? And the fact that we're breathing right now is because of God's mercy. It tells us that you and I, as sinful as we are, deserve death. That's what the Bible says. That means that if God gave us our punishment, we would not be living right now. Not only that, but we deserve death in hell. 
God has such great mercy that he not only saves us from the destruction of hell when we get saved, but he also sustains us through each and every day. Even though throughout the day we sin and deserve to be struck down on the spot, yet God in his mercy allows us to continue living. On top of that, he shows his mercy in our lives by using us despite our sin and inadequacies. He sustains our influence. He sustains our witness and our testimony, although we don't deserve it. And he uses those who are weak to defeat the strong. He uses the dumb to confound the wise. And all because his compassions fail not. His faithfulness is great and his mercies are new every morning as he tenderly and lovingly sustains us. Wow. But the Bible doesn't even... Uh, stop there. It tells us even more about the mercy of God. It says His mercy is great. In Numbers 14, 18, it says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy. Psalm 57, 10, For the, thy mercy is great unto the heavens. It says God's abounding in mercy. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God of our, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope. If Psalm 86, 5 says, For thou, Lord are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Every attribute that the Lord possesses is infinite and cannot be measured and His mercy is no different. God, not only that does the Bible tell us that, but God delights in showing us mercy. He delights in it. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Our Lord delights or takes pleasure in showing us mercy. Man, I don't know about you, but after taking the time to look at God's mercies like that, I could end right there and have enough reason to go to the altar uh, and make a decision. I hear about God's mercies like that and I'm moved to say, like the psalmist says in Psalm 89, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known his faithfulness to all generations. Man, hearing about the mercies of God in that way, being reminded of his mercies, should motivate us. It should motivate us. God's mercy should be our motivation to change. But what will this motivation push us toward? In the process of real change, we need to have the right motivation, but that right motivation will, turn, uh, will push us toward the right presentation. Okay, The right motivation will push us toward the right presentation. You say, what do you mean by that, Brother Micah? Well, look at our text with me again. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, what's that next word? Present. There's something to present to the Lord. Well, what does it tell us to present? It says to present your bodies. We should be giving ourselves to the Lord. When we are motivated by God's love and mercy, it will prompt us to give our bodies back to God. I want to break down this next part of the verse on all of what it is telling us to present our bodies to God as. Because it doesn't just say, uh, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies and then it's done says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So what do all those words mean? Well, uh, he says, uh, give your bodies, present your bodies a living 
sacrifice. Now that seems to be an oxymoron, right? A living sacrifice, because when we think of the word sacrifice, our minds almost always go automatically to someone giving their life of death. To say a living sacrifice, that seems to be a paradox. But listen to this. This is so cool. Uh, the words that Paul is using here and what he's trying to say is this. The word living there means this, to enjoy real life or to be active. Okay? Living, he says, to enjoy real life or to be active. And the word sacrifice means slaughtered or dead. Okay? Slaughtered or dead. So what Paul is saying is that we need to enjoy a real life of being dead. Okay? We need to be actively dead. You say, Brother Micah, I am still not getting it. It still seems like a paradox to me. Well, maybe it can help us out more if we take in the letter of Romans as a whole. Because let's remember that the believers that would have read this letter, they would have read it in its entirety, not just chapter by chapter. So go with me back a few chapters to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I want to go through Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. I think it'll shed some light here on what it means to enjoy real life being dead or to be actively dead. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Paul wrote saying, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are, what are those next three words? Dead to sin, live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So we've already been told we're dead to something, but that we're walking in newness of life. Okay, And then it goes on and says this, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or killed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And then this is where this verse really kind of brings it together. He says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be, what? Dead, indeed unto sin, but, what? Alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying that our bodies should be presented to God with an understanding that we belong to Him and not to sin. We should be living as if we're dead to something. And what does he say we're dead to in Romans chapter 6? To sin. Okay, we're dead to sin, so we should be living or enjoying real life being dead to sin. We should be actively dead to sin. 
That's what Paul is trying to tell us. He says, present your body to the Lord as a vessel that will serve him and his purposes and not as something that will serve you and your purposes or that will serve sin. If we're dead to sin and we're, we're set apart from sin, then we must be alive or set apart to something or someone else. And that's what he's saying in Romans chapter 6. And uh, that's what Paul says next when he says, not only be living sacrifice, give your body as something that is dead to sin and alive unto God, but he says uh, that it should be a body that is holy. A body that is holy. Uh, there in Romans chapter 12, back in our, in our passage, if, if you're not there again, uh, you can turn back to Romans 12. He says, uh, <clears throat> living sacrifice, holy. And that word holy means this, consecrated or set apart. We are to be set apart from sin so that we can be set apart or consecrated to God. So present our bodies in a way that is alive to Him and dead unto sin uh, and, and consecrated or set apart fully for God and no one else. And then it says acceptable or well-pleasing. If I, When I think of a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. I don't know if you do, but many, many of us, I, I believe, would think of the story of Cain and Abel. How Abel gave a sacrifice unto God that was acceptable, and Cain did not. Well, why wasn't Cain's sacrifice acceptable? Well, because it wasn't what God asked for. It wasn't what God asked for. Well, what has God asked us for? If you look up the word bodies, when he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, uh, the word means the body as a whole. If you were to look up that word, it, it says body as a sound whole. As a whole, giving your body, not partially. So what is an acceptable presentation to God? All of us. Yet, how often do we say, okay, God, you can have this area of my life, but, but not this one. Or you can have that person in my life, but not, not this person. And, and God's looking down saying, that's not acceptable. I want all of you. And so when it says an acceptable sacrifice, it's saying giving exactly what he's asking for, which is all of us. Our theme for the year challenges us to be consumed. The theme verse says that we would love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and all of our strength. Not some. Every single time it says all. We need to give all of ourselves to the Lord. That is what is acceptable. And then he says... Which is your reasonable service? Which is your reasonable service? That word reasonable means logical. That's what it, he's saying. It just makes sense that you would give yourself to God when we consider all that his mercy has done, is doing, and will do for us. If we want real change, lasting change, to happen in our life, we must start in the right place. We must be motivated by his love and mercy, and we must give ourselves up to fulfill his purposes. It reminds me of the verse in, in, that John wrote that said, we love him because he first loved us. Uh, I could summarize the entire message up this way. We give ourselves to him because he first gave himself to us, or himself to us. We give ourselves to him because he first gave himself to us. This is where real change begins, giving ourselves fully to God. If we're saved, we're dead to sin and self anyway, and yet too often we're giving ourselves over to the very things that we're dead to. But instead, we need to determine every day, because this isn't a one-time decision. 
This is an everyday, every moment decision to determine to present ourselves to God, ready to be shaped into whatever he wants us to be. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but next week we're going to look at how this goes into verse 2. And it really uh, gives off a picture of this. We give ourselves to the potter for him to shape us. The words conform and transform we'll look at next week in verse 2. He, we are giving ourselves to him for him to shape us, to do this process of sanctification. So the, the starting point of real change is to be motivated by the love and the mercy of God that will in turn motivate us to present our bodies a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. It's just our reasonable service. God wants to change us into something. In fact, he wants to change us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at with this series. But but it all begins by us simply handing ourselves over to him. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.